Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Why don't we turn to Revelation chapter 5. Well, as you're turning there, I'm going to read just a, a little snippet out of Zechariah 12, 1 through 3. The burden of the Lord against Israel, says the Lord, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all surrounding peoples and lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Now, this could not have happened until 1948, and then even more specifically until 1967, when one of the most holiest places, the most holiest place of all Judaism, and the third most holiest place for Islam, was retaken by Israel and became the capital of Israel once again. And so this could not have happened until 1967, and that's why you're one, you may be wondering, why is Jerusalem mentioned almost every single day at the U.N.? And why does the UN, who we finance incredibly through taxpayers' dollars, condemn Israel almost every single day? You want to lift back the veil and realize this is spiritual. This is spiritual. The Messiah's coming back. Jesus is coming back to where? America? Scotland? Africa? The Messiah is coming back to Jerusalem. He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. And the enemy, he's not the brightest bulb on the porch, but he's going to do everything he can to think that he can wipe out Israel. If he can wipe out Israel, then he nullifies God's promises. It's not going to happen. But you have to be aware of the depth of the spiritual wickedness that's taking place. Otherwise, you just focus on the person. We need to pray for the person because the depth is wicked. Wicked. Not just in their heart, in the spiritual world. And notice what it says, and you can look this up yourself, Zechariah 12, 1 through 3. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. Is that happening right now? Couldn't have happened before 67. All who would heave it away, all who would come against it, all who will say, divide the land. Divide the land will surely be cut in pieces. This is God's word, not Pastor Jim. Read your Bible. This is God's word. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it, God's promises are going to come to pass. So be aware of that, because five... You know how many... What's happened in the last two years? It actually has been a year... It started in February, I think February 22nd of last year, where Russia invaded Ukraine. Statistically, 500,000 have died in the Ukrainian-Russian war. Think about that for a moment. 500,000, and that's just dead or wounded troops. Not civilians. Just troops. Where's all the marching? Where's all the protest? You're not seeing it, are you? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples. Guys, it's about God's word. Don't get caught up in politics. Don't get caught up in conspiracy conspiracy theories. Get caught up in your Bible. 
It's going to happen. It's going to happen. How are you ready to reach people for Christ? That's the point. That doesn't include civilians, which are, at last count, which was September, 9,614, with 554 of them children, 17,535 injured. That's the number of deaths. 9,614 deaths, with 554 being children, injured 17,535, 1,180 children. Keep remembering, it's about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Everything else is just a distraction. People need Jesus, guys. People need Jesus. Well, Revelation chapter 5, if you're new or visiting, we're working our way through Revelation, slowly but surely. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, spiritual forces, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked... And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, remember the 24 elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came, capital H there, not an elder, not John, but Jesus, as you will find out, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, who would be the him here, as you interpret your Bible, who sat on the throne out of God the Father's hand. Jesus took the scroll out of the right hand of God, who sat on the throne. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have a plan and a purpose behind all that is taking place. This is not by chance. This is not the plotting of some physical kingdom. Your word is going to be fulfilled. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you that we know the rest of the story. And that we know the story today, the good news. If there's an unbeliever in our midst today, God loves them and desires a relationship with them. Your long-suffering, as Peter says, willing none to perish or be separated from, from you for all of eternity. So, Father, as Bible-believing Christians, we even pray right now. We intercede for maybe someone in this room. Maybe there's more than one. Open their spiritual eyes. That they would come up after the service and ask Jesus to be their Savior. That they might come into a loving relationship with you, Father. You are love, but you are also just. You will hold every person accountable for what they do with Jesus. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. 
and that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, if you're new or visiting, as well as for us gathered, you know, a throne was the main focus of chapter one, and not just any throne, it was the throne of God. And John was literally taken into heaven and brought before this throne. Yes, John was looking at the throne of his heavenly father, his, make it personal, his heavenly father. And he described the throne. You can read it again if you haven't been there. It's brilliance, it's surroundings. And one day, one day, guys, every single Bible-believing Christian, do you notice I'm emphasizing Bible-believing Christians? Mormons are saying they're Christians. They are not. They're not Bible-believing. They're not Christ followers. The Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, any books they have supersede the Bible. So you just have to make it perfectly clear to them, God loves you, but you are not a Bible-believing Christian. A Christ follower. Every single person will stand. A Bible-believing Christian will stand before the throne of God. It's a beautiful scene with an incredible array of colors. You see, heaven, as we've been discussing, is a real place, guys. If you're newer visiting, you're not going to go in a hole in the ground. You're not going to go into nothingness. You're not going to be a pudgy little angel playing a harp on a cloud. You're either going to go to hell, which is real. Jesus spoke of it often. Not created for mankind. Created for demons. Because you rejected Christ. That's the only reason why you're going to hell. I don't want your Bible. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your Christianity. Fine. That's free will. Praise God for free will. Don't be surprised when you die and you end up in hell. And don't blame God. Because you can make a choice to receive Jesus as your Savior. Because heaven is a real place. And as we have taken note of, it's a huge piece of reality, real estate. I mean, real estate. Think about real estate. It's a very important asset to have them in the minds of most adult Americans. Kids could care less. But most adult Americans. To own a home is a part of what used to be called, what? The American dream. We bought our first home in 1985. 12% interest. My mother-in-law thought it should have been condemned. <laughs> just stayed in the facts. But to our eyes, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. We remodeled that home for 16 years and sold it for a very nice price. Quite a bit more than we originally paid for it. We have seen the good times of owning a house, but we've also seen the hard times. That, that dream became a nightmare, a nightmare, just a few short years ago for many. And people are saying, well, that'll never happen again. You might want to be reading the news a little bit, just a little bit. It is going to happen again, and it could be worse than 08. That's not conspiracy. That's reality. In case you don't know, we're 33, 33 trillion dollars in debt America well let's just keep handing it out and printing it out not a problem right no no it, it catches up to us fortunately for us we were renting at the time but as most of you know real estate has a way of going up and coming down in value that's just reality but the idea of owning real estate is not just limited to America obviously it's one of the highest ideals of many societies and when we look back over the centuries, as well as millenniums, 
vast numbers of wars have been and still are being fought over. The Russian-Ukraine war, what's it being fought over? Land. Israeli-Palestinian, what's it being fought over? Land. Over real estate and who will ultimately possess the land. You see, the enemy of our soul has his own agenda in this regard, our spiritual enemy, Lucifer, the devil, Satan. He desires to be on top of so that others would worship him just like he used to worship God. And what better way to be worshipped than to own real estate? Well, the Bible teaches us that the enemy of our soul is actually overseeing the whole world due to the sinful act, one sinful act of Adam and Eve. Jesus spoke this world into being and it ultimately belongs to God. Yet, when Adam and Eve willfully sinned, they gave this world over to our spiritual enemy and now he rules and reigns over what he thinks he owns. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, reading this out of the New Living Translation, this is speaking of a spiritual veil. If you're an unbeliever with us right now this morning, There is a veil on your eyes. You think you're okay. You think everything's going to be okay. Or maybe you're battling depression or anxiety. Maybe you're contemplating suicide because it's not okay. And there's a veil over your eyes. There's no hope. There's no hope. I want you to know right here this morning, there is a hope. It's a living hope. God loves you and Jesus died for you. He rose from the grave you see at the Father's right hand, he's interceding that you would receive via the Holy Spirit, that you would receive Jesus as your Savior. Guys, that is our only hope. A Republican in the White House is not going to be our living hope. A socialist in the White House is not going to be our living hope. No group, no people, not one person is going to be our living hope. Only Jesus. It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world. This is in your Bible. Little g, notice little g, he is called the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. I was blind, punching the clock every Sunday morning. I was blind, spiritually, until I finally acknowledged I'm a sinner going to hell in need of a Savior. And then the veil was taken away, and I saw Jesus for who he truly was. Not a man on a cross, because Jesus is not on the cross but a man who loved me and died for me and who loves every single person, as I've already mentioned, 8 billion, 8 billion, over 8 billion. Jesus loves every single one of them. Whatever label you want to put on them, pedophile, adulterer, murderer, a good person, no one good, no, not one. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, Satan is described as a God of this world and it's as if due to Adam and Eve's sin, one sin, he was given a title deed to this earth. And that's going to be the focus of this scroll here. And I'll explain it more. But it's as if he was giving a title deed to this earth or what would be described as a legal document that signifies ownership. I'll explain that in more detail in the verses. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. John, if you're not familiar with this, this is John the Apostle. 
And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. So the hymn here, as you interpret your Bible, is God. Written inside and on the back. I mean, the Holy Spirit is very, very descriptive and clear here. Sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel. I didn't know there were weak angels, but John's saying, this guy must have really been buff or something. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Guys, all of our loved ones are seeing this played out. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? The Lamb. The Lamb. I believe that we could call this scroll a title deed to this earth. And again, I'll explain it. In ancient time, property would be transferred to another person through witnesses verifying what was written on a scroll. They would then take the scroll, roll it up, and seal it with wax and a signet ring. Maybe some of you women, I know my wife did this when she was younger. She had wax and a stamp with her name on it, initial on it. And when she wrote letters to her pen pal, which she has known for roughly 50 years now, and they still communicate, she would put the, drip the wax and seal the back of the envelope. This process is thousands of years old. And after they witnessed the transaction, they would then place the sealed scroll in a secure place. So here we see a scroll, which one again, once again, I believe is a title deed. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve, through their willful, willful act of disobedience, transferred their perfect piece of real estate, earth. There was not one sin on this earth before Adam and Eve sinned. The whole earth was perfect, and they were in the garden, they were placed in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says this about the world in which we live, Romans 8, 19 through 22. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, the enemy of our soul has caused havoc upon this whole world, and creation groans over that fact. I have no idea how that works. I have no idea. I know trees don't have spirits. We know that. Animals, are, are, you know, they're not, they don't have the ability to receive Jesus as their Savior. We know all that. How, what this means, I don't understand, but I believe it because the Word says it's going to happen. All of creation is going to rejoice. And going back to that earthly scroll, only the owner or next of kin of the property were allowed to break the seals on that earthly scroll. Here, though, Jesus, John sees a heavenly scroll and hears an angel ask a question, who is worthy? And that word worthy is key. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? You see, John, as well as his readers, would have been very familiar with this evidence of transaction. And since it is a heavenly scroll, there would need to be a heavenly owner. 
Let's look at a couple customs. The Roman custom. The Roman custom of making a will included a ceremony involving a testator and seven witnesses. For each of the seven witnesses, there was a seal. In addition, a very reliable friend was selected who would, for a coin, a small price, purchase the property for the family. In this way, the property would become the property of a reliable friend. However, upon the death of the testator, the individual, the very reliable friend would return the property to the rightful heirs. For such a document, a long scroll of parchment was used. The writer of the document would begin writing, and after a period, he would stop, roll up the parchment enough to cover the words that he had written down, and then seal that portion of the document with wax. He would then resume writing, stop, seal another portion, and so on until the entire scroll was sealed with seven seals. In this way, the scroll would be read one section at a time after each seal was broken. I don't believe that's what we're seeing here because we'll look at the Jewish custom. The Jewish custom we'll start to see happening in this heavenly scroll in chapter 6. Here's the Jewish custom. Scholars point out that if a Jewish family were to lose their property or possessions by some kind of misfortune or distress, their property could not, could not be permanently taken from them. The Old Testament law of Jubilee and the kinsman redeemer protected them against this. However, their losses were listed in a scroll and sealed seven times. Then the conditions necessary to purchase back the land and their possessions were written on the outside of the scroll. What did we just read in Revelation? And I saw on the right hand of him, God, who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. John saw writing, some sort of writing, and seven seals. When the qualified redeemer could be found, who could meet the requirements of reclamation, they would then open the scroll. But the one who had taken the property was then required to return it to the original owner, the book of Ruth. Please read the book of Ruth. It's an excellent example of this being played out in the Old Testament. Revelation 5, 3, and 4. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. This includes demonic forces, humans, or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. The dilemma is presented to John. And we see that John is weeping over the fact that there's no one who is the rightful owner. That's maybe hard for us to understand. Again, you've got to go back to Jewish culture like we talked about in tradition. This is why John is weeping. There's no one. There's no one that can redeem what is ever written in this scroll. That's why he's weeping. It's hopeless. It's over. No one was found worthy. But notice it doesn't say who is willing. There have been quite a few dictators who have tried to rule the world. They were all willing, but they were not worthy. So a search was made for one who was worthy and the rightful owner of the scroll was of the scroll and none was found. But we're going to see in our following verses that we've already read, there is one worthy owner of this earth. He'll be the only one who is able to claim the scroll and break the seals thereof. So I think as we piece it together, 
and see this scroll is symbolic representation of a title deed to this earth. Yet Lucifer thinks he's the owner, as we read in Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. This is in your Bible. And their glory. And Satan, Lucifer, the devil, said to Jesus, imagine Jesus spoke Lucifer into existence. And here Lucifer is tempting Jesus, God. Whom he used to worship, by the way, if you read your Bible. Lucifer knows Jesus. He doesn't understand. But this is what Lucifer says. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What have we learned already? That Lucifer is the God of this world. Little g. Little g. You will notice in the full text of the temptation that Jesus didn't deny Lucifer could do that. He didn't deny that. But this is what Acts tells us. Let's look at Acts. Now turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17. If you're new or visiting, we put some slides up for time. But we believe in turning to your Bible. So please, have a paper Bible. Have a paper Bible. When they turn your phone off, you better know where your paper Bible's at. Should be your best friend. Acts 17, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar to this inscription, To the unknown God. We better have a little grotto, and a grotto is just a, a hole in the wall, partial hole with a shelf. And we just better leave that and put a plaque up to the unknown God because we don't, we don't want to offend the unknown God. That could be a very serious thing. Therefore, the one, the one whom you worship without knowing, who is Paul going to take in here? Jesus. I'm taking Jesus to you. You, you, you worship an unknown God? I'm going to make him known to you. He is Lord, oh, sorry, him I proclaim to you. Verse 24, Acts 17, 24. God who made the world and everything in it, young people. Notice that, creation, creation, not evolution, creation. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Notice that, he is Lord, he is over heaven and earth. Satan has to approach the throne of God before he can touch us. We're God's kids. That doesn't mean we're not going to be touched. My wife had cancer, she's seven, going on seven years, six Seven years clean now. You know, it rains on, Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, we believers are going to have to go through trials and tribulations. But God is ultimately in control because he is what? Lord of heaven and earth. Does not dwell in temples made with hands, verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives what? He gives to all life breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men. I'm sorry to harp on this, but I'm not sorry. Because the enemy is trying to divide our country, and one of the main tactics is race. The color of your skin will make you a good person or a bad person. A privileged person or a person who's put under bondage. 
That's from the pit of hell. You just read it. How many races are there? One race. We as Bible-believing Christians treat every single person the same, no matter what the color of their skin is. That's irrelevant. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs to know that God loves them, that they're marching towards hell if they don't have Jesus. We've got to keep that in the forefront of our minds because the enemy is trying to divide, even within the church. Don't ever allow that to come into church. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. For, uh, <clears throat> what verse am I on? Let me see. Oh, yeah, there, 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men, that's mankind, as you look up that word there, mankind, to dwell on all the face of the earth. Notice this and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Notice that. So if we're going to go down, should we be grieved over that? Yes, absolutely. Should we be concerned that God doesn't have it all together? Never. If it's pre-appointed for us to go down, fight all you want. We're going down. I want to take somebody with me to heaven. And I hope you do as well. Guys, we're at that crossroads. I hope you realize this. We are literally at that crossroads. It could go. This is not being dramatic. This is reality. I hope, wake up. This is reality. It could go nuclear this week. Israel has promised decades ago, we will never have another Masada. If you don't know anything about Masada, check it out. It happened after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. There was a group of Jews that went to Masada They encamped up there. They were fortified. The Romans went to conquer them. They committed mass suicide, except for one person who told the story. But this is even written in historical records of Rome. They committed mass suicide because they were not going to give in to those who were going to torture them, rape their their women, put us into slavery. We'll die. And Israel has taken a vow. There will never be another Messiah. They have said this. This is reality. They have said, if we go down, everybody's going down with us. This is how serious it is. If they start shooting off not 5,000, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 rockets at one time, do you think Israel's just going to go, well, you know, we'll just take it? Guys, this is reality. Be in prayer. This is very, very serious. This could happen this coming week. Again, I'm not being dramatic. God has a pre-appointed plan. Be aware of what might happen. Back in Revelation chapter 5, and there's many other verses in the Word that show us who truly owns this world and rules over it. You see, Jesus here is going to step up and show that He is the actual owner of this earth and that the enemy is only a squatter who pretends to own this earth. He's just a squatter. So we see that John was weeping. It's hopeless. There is no one found who could deliver this earth and the curse that is upon us. But one of the elders, I believe this is one of the 24, came to John to comfort him and let him know that there is one who is loosed or to break the seals. Revelation 21.1 
And he showed me, the angel showed John, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And you guys notice how I've been mentioning this over the weeks? Your loved ones, your loved ones are seeing this right now. This is not when you die, it's going to appear like you're the one that makes it happen. This has been happening for over 2,000 years. All those who believed in God prior to Jesus and those who believed in Jesus afterwards, Jesus took that captivity captive, led them. When they stepped into heaven, this is the very first thing they saw, the throne of God. All those millions and millions of people who believed in God. Nebuchadnezzar, everybody else who believed. First thing they saw, the throne room of God. And what else are they seeing? Because people will ask me this. Well, where are my relatives? What are they seeing? This is what they're seeing. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You see, Jesus stood up, as we've already read and we're going to get into in the next verses here. He left his throne because Jesus is sitting on a throne. Now, we don't have the picture of his throne, but do you think it's going to be less glorious than the Father's throne? They're co-equal. That could be less glorious. It's glorious. Jesus stood up, left his throne to approach the throne of his heavenly Father. Matthew 25 shows us Jesus sitting on his glorious throne to judge the nations after the great tribulation. Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? The Father has given me all authority. The Father has given me all judgment. Jesus is going to be sitting on the throne judging the nations at the end of the great tribulation. And then Revelation 20, which we'll get to in a couple years, shows Jesus sitting... On a great white throne, judging eternal death. Verses 5 through 7. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Now, I've never wept a whole lot. That's just not my personality, and there's nothing wrong with you if you're a weeper. I'm not insinuating that at all. That's just not my makeup. But the few times I have wept and, and have been comforted by somebody or the whole, by the Holy Spirit, you know what it means. It's just such a relief. It's like, oh, thank you, God, or thank you to that individual who comes along to comfort you. And we should comfort. We should be there for people when they're weeping. Nothing wrong with that. It's part of the process of this life. And here John is, is comforted by one of the elders. And what does the elder say? Do not weep. Tone is so important. I don't know if you know this or not, but real quick, I, I would, not my notes, but communication is vital. Real quick, out of 100% communication, just so you know, stud, many studies out there, but they all basically come down to the same facts. 55% of communication is nonverbal communication. Are you looking at me? Are you looking away from me? Are you reading? I'm going through the TV. Claudia comes in and she says, hey, Jim, I need to talk to you about something. Yeah, what is it? Go ahead. <laughs> what did I just say? Nonverbal communication, facial expressions, body language. Like when you have an argument, are you holding each other and hugging each other when you're having an argument? No, you're usually six, eight, ten feet away, arms crossed, yelling, veins popping. You're sending a nonverbal message. I hate you, and I'm going to win this argument. That's all nonverbal. 45% is verbal. Out of the 45%, 38% is tone. 38% is tone. See, when you're talking, people only really grasp 7% of what you're saying. Retain it and walk away. That's why we have repetition in life. Repetition, repetition. It's just reality. 
So this angel, just did he whisper it? Did he say it? It doesn't matter. But we're going to see John is what? Greatly comforted. By what? The angel saying, look to Jesus. Guys, that's our comfort. And that's our comfort for other people who are losing loved ones in Israel, in the Gaza, for those in Russia, Ukraine, for in our neighborhood, at school. Who are we going to point them to? There's no hope apart from Jesus. He's the only one who is worthy. So guys, keep this in mind. The angel says to John, do not weep. Do not weep. And he's probably like, okay, you know, wiping his eyes. And you know how that is when you have tears in your eyes and things are kind of out of focus. The angel says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came, and we know this is Jesus, and Jesus came and took the scroll out of the right hand of God the Father who sat on the throne. The deliverer comes in the focus. You know, chapter 4 shows us the sovereign authority of God the Father as creator. Chapter 5 shows us the sovereign authority of God the Son as redeemer. You see, John is given a clue as to who comes into the center of the throne room. It's the redeemer of mankind would come from the lion of the tribe of Judah as well as the root of David, both of which signify titles in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. So he's going to come from the tribe of Judah... This would have been in reference to Jacob's prophetic vision of the Messiah coming through the tribe of Judah found in Genesis 49, 8-10. through 10. Jacob talks of a scepter, a kingly instrument, and, that was, and, th- that, and that this was given to Judah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11 very quickly. We're running out of time. Isaiah chapter 11. So Jacob tells us that the kingly line would come through Judah. The lion speaks of dignity, sovereignty, courage, and victory. The root of David would speak of the Messiah's lineage. It's interesting that Jesus was often referenced to as the son of David. Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. And he shall not judge by sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That's typically how we judge, right? Not God, not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist." So we look back into Revelation. We know from the scriptures that Jesus came through the bloodline of David via the city of Bethlehem. And so since Jesus fulfilled both of these prophecies as well as over 300, this is impossible. John knew exactly who this was and the Holy Spirit wants us to know as well, the dilemma is resolved. Verse 6. 
And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. So after hearing from the elder, John looks, and who does he see? He sees Jesus. Now remember, John is a prophet, but he's also a poet. John is using symbols to represent his audience, the truth. And he may have done this to throw off his Roman oppressors. You see, if you were an unbelieving Roman soldier and you were reading this, you would think that it was just a bunch of nonsense. It sounds like mythological imagery. But in the early church believers, they knew exactly, exactly what these symbols spoke of. So we see Jesus walking into the midst of the scene that we've been looking at these past few weeks. Now, don't think this is an actual lamb if you're new to the Bible. Because John, the baptizing cousin of Jesus, so John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, had this to say about Jesus when he was coming to be baptized by him. In John 1.29, we read this. The next day, John, his cousin, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. What is the sin? Not accepting Jesus as your Savior. That is the only sin that will keep you out of heaven. Not accepting Jesus as your Savior is the only sin that will keep you out of heaven. Who takes away the sin of the world. Again, the early church would have readily known what John, the Apostle John meant by using the term lamb. It's used 27 times, matter of fact, in the book of Revelation. But notice this as well, as far as I can tell from the scriptures, Jesus is going to be the only one in heaven who will still have some of his earthly scars. The only one. No one else will have any signs of physical earthly disabilities. No one will have our perfect heavenly body, thank God, that will never deteriorate. And what will we see? The nail holes in his wrist, not his hands. Wrist, they would have been in the wrist. They would tear out if they were in his hands. The nail holes in his wrist, the nail holes in his feet, and the slip from the Roman spear in his side. For all of eternity, he will carry the wounds that show his sacrifice to save the souls of humanity. And that's not for us to feel guilty about, but to remind the saints that Jesus purchased our souls. In Acts 20, 28, we read this. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Jesus is talking to the pastors. This is so grieving to me as a pastor to see what is happening in churches in America via the pastorate, ordaining homosexuals, marrying same-sex couples, promoting trans, promoting drugs and living together from the pulpit via the Word of God. It's incomprehensible if it's happening here in America. Jesus saying to the pastors almost 2,000 years ago, pay attention, pay attention. He's allowed you to be an overseer. Don't neglect your calling. To shepherd the church of God, which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. And I cannot have a whim to endorse something that is unbiblical because my kids are doing it or I'm doing it or close friends are doing it. That is not an option for me. It is not an option for you. We're all in the same boat trying to be more like Jesus. We don't sing these songs for filler. We sing these songs because they're theology. Theology. 
You see, as we look to the description of the lamb, we see seven horns, and horns in the Bible speak of strength or power. So Jesus is the one who has complete, seven, complete authority, strength, kingship. The theological term for this is omnipotent or all-powerful. The seven eyes would speak of the ability to be able to see everything or to have complete wisdom. The theological term for this is omniscience or all-knowing. The seven spirits would speak of the ability to be everywhere at one time. The theological term for this is omnipresence. So we know that this was Jesus who came and took the scroll out of the hand of his father. The title deed of the earth is being claimed by its rightful owner, Jesus. We'll wrap it up with Psalm 2. Let's look at Psalm 2. No more weeping for John. As we will see next week, rejoicing is about to break out. So read ahead. We'll probably finish John, uh, the chapter 5 next week. But in Psalm 2, as we wrap it up, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed. If you haven't noticed, the church is being persecuted and prosecuted more than ever before around the world. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall make them, hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, Jerusalem. Spiritual warfare is taking place. I will declare the degree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The Messiah, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled this. And the ends of the earth for your possession, the millennial reign of Christ after the great tribulation. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Remember who's ultimately under control, guys. Our Father in heaven. And pray that you can plant water, fertilize this week, maybe pray with somebody. Guys, if nuclear war happens, do you think everything's going to go about like it is right now? Do you think everybody's going to be visiting all these other places going, well, la-di-da-di-da, it's just nuclear war on that side of the world. Nothing to worry about. Your neighbors are going to be panicked. Your coworkers are going to be panicked. Your family members are going to be panicked. What are you going to give to them? Look. Look who is worthy. Jesus is worthy. This was spoken of thousands of years ago. We're ready. We don't have to run around like a chicken with his head cut off. I was raised on a farm. I know what that looks like. You don't, that's, that's literal. You don't have to do that. You stay calm, collected, and you look up and say, Jesus said these things were going to happen. It's here. You better repent. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have allowed us to be ambassadors for Christ. We're not ambassadors for any political party. We're not ambassadors for any conspiracy theory. We're ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a message in our hand, love, grace, mercy. But judgment is coming. You are a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, but judgment is coming. So Lord, whatever happens this week, may we stay focused on eternity, knowing these things must come to pass. America must be wiped out because no one is coming to the aid of Israel. Father, help us just mature. We're living in biblical times. Our flesh doesn't want this, but our spirit says, yes. 
because your Holy Spirit is guiding us into eternal things, forsaking the temporal. Lord, use us this week. Whatever happens, personally, in our families, in our community, in our workplace, in the church, in the world, Lord, help us to be available for your use. People need Jesus. Help us to be available. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.